this. So I'm going to be reading out of Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. The note on the slide is the parallel passages in Luke and Matthew. Uh, for those that want to do further study, I, I encourage you to do so. There's important things here. So please, for the st- please stand for reading God's holy word when you find your place. Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home, and many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door, and he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed, on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned with themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Rise, take up your bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. It's reading God's word. You may be seated. A little bit from my week. I want you to think what it would have been like to be this paralytic man. Um, my daughter, uh, for Mother's Day, gave her mom the present of getting sick on Mother's Day. She's got that high fever going on, and so our Mother's Day plans changed changed a little bit after the meal we, we shared together. Um, but as, as we went to the doctor, um, the first doctor we went and seen, he really seemed rather clueless, didn't know what was going on. Um, and uh, so Wednesday night after our prayer meeting, we go to the hospital. And um, we, we take our daughter in, and the doctor right away recognizes what the condition is. But unfortunately, it's one of those things that's called viral, not like the YouTube videos, but viral in the doctor's world means we have no cure for it. You just got to wait it out. You got to toughen it up. And the, so that's the condition that my daughter's in. But what if when we went to the hospital, the doctor would have came in and said, Hello, I'm sorry, you're not feeling good. Your sins are forgiven. What would this man have thought? What would these people have thought? This is a highly unusual thing for for Jesus to be doing. But I want us to see as we we go through the Gospels to understand exactly what Jesus is doing here. I've said uh, many times before that when you see Jesus doing something, ask the question why. Because there is always a purpose. Jesus doesn't go off on a whim and say, I'm going to tell this guy his sins are forgiven instead of actually healing him. There's something very important going on. and, And I'd remind us from where we've been. And the last time we were in the Gospels, two weeks ago, we saw Jesus heal a leprous man. Why is healing a leprous man significant? Do we remember? Who has the ability to heal the leper? God alone. So so understand that when when we see these crowds gathering around, the the healing of the leper is a major miracle in in the mindset of the Jewish people. They've had prophets come along before who have who have healed people of various diseases and conditions, but never from leprosy. And so this is a, a really big deal in their mindset. You know, we look back, we see that Jesus, over and over, he's showing his authority. He showed his 
authority over nature when he commanded Peter to cast the nets out on the other side of the boats. And he caught so many fish that it started to sink two different boats at the same time. He, he has authority over uh, disease and defilement, things that make you unclean. Uh, we see that uh, he had authority last week over uh, leprosy. I want you to imagine being that high priest, having that man come to you that, that was a leper, who has now been healed. You have been trained, and you have trained other priests. And for 1,500 years, you have been reading the, the words of Moses and how he commanded what was to happen when a leprous man had been healed. But in those 1,500 years, there had never been a leprous man who had been healed. And so all of a sudden, this would get your, get your attention. And it does get the attention of the, uh, the high priest and, and their group. Similar to like we have a congress and we send senators and politicians um, to that. Um, the priests had what they called the Sanhedrin. There was 70 members who made up this council, and they were both religious and a political council. And so when they saw um, anybody who could fit the possibility of the Messiah, they would have a meeting of the Sanhedrin, and they would send it, um, have an, uh, excuse me, an investigation in, uh, in two steps. Um, we, we see this in Scripture in the Gospel of John with John the Baptist. Um, we have a, a verse slide, if you would. Uh, for John chapter 1, we read, And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests, they're sending uh, the priests because they're investigating if John could be the Messiah. They sent the priests and the Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? And he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. So they said to him, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. Understand that they are doing an investigation of John, seeing if his movement, they, they would check off these, these two categories to, to see if he fit the qualifications of the Messiah. And John fit many of them, but not all of them. And to see if his following was serious. If a person was claiming to be the Messiah, but had a very little following, they would disregard them. But so with John, they came because he had a very serious following. And when he denied that he was the Messiah, they went back to the Sanhedrin and said, he does not claim to be the Messiah. To be the Messiah, you had to acknowledge that, that you were sent by God to, to be the Messiah. And, and so uh, when we encounter Jesus this day, we see that there are so many people here. And one of the reasons why the door is blocked and there are so many people in this house is because the Sanhedrin has sent the religious leaders. And they are very curious because... John baptized, and he was a great teacher, and he was kind of your fire and brimstone. He would tell you the truth regardless if you liked it or not type of man. And that got a lot of people's attention. A lot of people went to him hoping that he would be the Messiah. But he was not because he was to show the way. He was to show them Jesus, as you and I are to show the world Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. And so when, when we look at this, they see that Jesus has been healing, that Jesus has been doing all these different things. But most importantly, he had just healed this leprous man. Something that only God's Messiah would have been able to do. And so, their, their, uh, if you will, their spidey sense is tingling. They said, we need to, to get together and find out, is this man who he says he is? Is there evidence that this man is the Messiah? So they're all gathered around so much to the point that no one else can enter. They are at max capacity. It would be like fitting 400 people in this room. There, there's no way anyone else is going to fit in. But there's this paralytic man, this man who is paralyzed. He cannot walk. He is stuck on this man. He is completely dependent on his friends. But his friends love him. Amen? Amen. Do you have, do you have a friend that you love? 
that you would do just about anything for to, to see them healed or to see them saved. And that's what these four men do. When, when we read, I'll uh, read from you from Matthew 9, 2, it says, And behold, some people brought him to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. So one of the few times where it's not the faith of the person being healed, but the faith of those who had brought him. And so when, when they get there and see there's no room, they go, they go on the roof. Please do not do this to the church. They go on the roof, take away the tiles and the hay and the various things that would have been there, and they lower the man right in front of Jesus so they could get to Jesus. I tell you, if you, you have someone you love and you've been praying for, get them to Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, regardless that that means, you going and reading the scripture with them, you inviting them to church, or you asking me or one of um, the other capable men or women here to, to go and wit witness the gospel to them. And have them have that encounter with Jesus because it will change their life. It changes this paralytic's life. And, and notice that, that Jesus here, he does not say, get up and walk right away. He could have. He healed the paralytic man. He's healed other paralyzed and he'll heal others in the future. There's not a healing that Jesus can't do. He is the great physician. But what happens here in this very moment Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And the priests that are all around are like, whoa, 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 whoa. Who is allowed to forgive sins? God. Oftentimes you'll, you'll hear people say, you can't judge me. Only God can be my judge. In that arrogant, prideful moment, they are right. Only God can judge them. But let's be honest. God is going to judge them. And you are trying on behalf of God to show God's grace by saying that there are things in your life that make you fall short of the glory of God. You need a Savior. His name is Jesus. And we, we all, all need that Savior. So Jesus tells him to be of good cheer. What must have been going through that man's mind that he, he is paralyzed and he is told his sins are forgiven? Now he may be one, I'm sure the priests were, were in this category, where they viewed that because this man had been paralyzed for so long, he must have been some kind of sinner that God struck him down and did not allow him to walk ever again. And that's what the priest would have been thinking. And so for Jesus to come in and say, your sins are forgiven, he is showing them that he is in fact God. This is, this is one of those, those claims. Jesus doesn't come out and say, I am God. I have the right to forgive this man. He is forgiven. But by saying that your sins are forgiven... He is showing them that he is in fact God. Back-to-back -back miracles we see where, where Jesus heals a leper, which can only be done by God, and Jesus offers the forgiveness of sins, something that can only be granted by God. We read later on that the Father has given it to the Son to, to forgive sins and to judge sins. We will either be uh, redeemed and allowed into heaven by Jesus Christ, or, or we will be condemned and sent to hell by Jesus Christ. There's no other name that we have to receive salvation. And so the, the priests in this moment uh, are very upset at this because they think he is blaspheming, that he is just a prophet, a man who is making himself out to be God. But Jesus, who I think has the greatest wit of any human that has ever walked this earth, said, well, what is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to get up and walk? I don't know about you, but I've never been able to heal anyone. I've never been able to say to, to a man or a woman who can't walk, to get up out of that wheelchair and walk. I would like to, but I can't. I don't have that power. I am not Jesus. 
I am one of his disciples. And I can tell you that Jesus can do that. And he does that for this man. But Jesus' primary purpose when he comes on earth is not to heal us physically. He is to heal us spiritually. Which There is an issue of sin that is going on in this man's life. And that he needs forgiveness for. What if Jesus never tells him to get up and walk? I tell you, that man is more blessed than all the others who ever receive a healing from Jesus because his sins have been forgiven. A day will come. <coughs> excuse me. A day will come where he will stand before God redeemed, and he will have that perfect body, and he will not have to worry about not being able to walk ever again, because he he will be able to walk the streets of gold in paradise, in heaven, and he he will be able to be in New Jerusalem when that, that is given by the Father. So we need to see that that they are looking at at Jesus, and they are inve- investigating and. And they're in their own hearts are, are wanting to condemn Jesus. In their hearts it says that they say, this man is blaspheming. And Jesus, further being God, reveals to them, I know your own thoughts. I know what the thoughts of your heart are. Why are you saying this in your heart? He has given them three evidences that he is God and that he is in fact the Messiah. And so at this point is, is uh, kind of part one of their investigation where they will go back and say that he claims to be God, he performs miracles that only the Messiah would be able to perform. And so the Sanhedrin is going to get together and have a discussion, and they're going to have to vote and choose one way or the other. Jesus is, in fact, the Holy One, the Messiah, sent by God to save us from our sins, to be Israel's king forever. The, the high priest of all high priests has come to us now, or to reject him as their Messiah and seek a way to put him to death. Those of you that know the rest of the story know which way they vote. They are not about to give up power to anyone. And they do not like the fact that, that Jesus has this power. That, that they are no longer the ones that people had to go to for healing. And so they are, they are struggling with what to do about Jesus and what to make of him. They were commanded, commanded by Moses to prepare themselves... The, the role of the high priest is similar to the role of the pastors today. The role of the high priest was to tend to the God's sheep and to show them the true shepherd who is to come into the world. Just like the, the song we sing that said, um, make straight the highway for the Lord. That's what the role was, to John was given. The role that is given to us. Jesus Christ is about to return. Let that sink in. Is your family ready? Are you ready for the Lord to return? If you're ready, you'll be a little more excited about that statement. <laughs> it? We're saying the king of all kings, the one who went to the cross and who died for you, who rose to life to give you a hope and a future, is coming again. Amen. Amen. That should get us excited. But I know why it's bittersweet to us. Because we have loved ones. We have people that are like that paralytic man who need the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they need they need someone to bring them to Jesus to have that encounter. Maybe that someone is you. Are you willing to do the hard work? Climbing a roof and lifting a full-grown man who is unable to walk, unable to support his own weight, onto a roof and then to dig it away and to, uh, to be willing to be mocked and scorned and by tearing that roof off, the owner of that house would not have been happy and to lower them into Jesus, and to deal with all the ridicule from the priests. 
Anybody ever feel judged by the world? Those four men would have felt very judged. So would the paralytic man. And so was Jesus. The world is going to judge you. And the world is going to call you crazy. A horrible thing happened this week. Yet again in this country we have another shooting that has taken young lives. It is tragic. It is avoidable. It is sinful. But we don't want to talk about it being sinful. We want to talk about guns. We want to talk about mental health issues. About bullying and romantic rejection and, and things that that's what's being talked about in the news nobody wants to talk to how about satan is luring our young people to kill and to take life because he does not value life and our world does not value life there is hope in jesus and that is the hope that that we can offer this world but while we offer prayers for the people that have gone through this tragedy and prayers for the individual that has committed this heinous crime who will have to stand before a human judge yes but also Jesus Christ, the, the true judge. And he will have to justify his actions of why he killed nine people that were created in the image of God. I do not want to be that man. I do not want to have to stand before Jesus Christ and explain why you murdered nine people. There will be an accounting that happens. But we also have to understand that this world, when we offer our prayers, is openly mocking our prayers and saying your prayers will do nothing. Stop offering prayers. We want action. But I want you to understand as a Christian, our greatest action is prayer. When the world mocks you, and the world will mock you, it will mock you for coming to church. It will tell you, well, why don't you just stay home? Church isn't really doing anything for you. You're throwing your money away, this and that. It's taking up your time, taking away from things you would rather be doing. Life is too short. I tell you, life is too short to miss church. Because this, this is part of eternity we're experiencing here and now, where we get to come in and worship God who is in heaven. But we need to understand that, that our prayers matter. That's right. Our, our prayers, when we, we beckon God to move, His heart is already broken for what happened in Texas. He's looking for his people to be willing to stand up and declare that he is holy and that he is the one able to conquer this. Because this is not a matter of one random act of violence. This is a spiritual matter where our nation has fallen away into sin. Our nation is standing to be judged as we speak. You could think back to Saddam and Gomorrah. Why did God delay his judgment on Saddam and Gomorrah? Abraham pleaded and said, God, do not bring your judgment. If there be 50 righteous, will you still judge them? God said, no. Not if there's 50 righteous. If there's 10 righteous. God, what if there's only one righteous? What if you are the last person in this country standing between God and his judgment of this country? I, stand, I tell you to stand up and be the Christian. Be the love that this world needs to see. There was a royal wedding this week, and I'm not much into royalty at all, outside of the one known as Jesus Christ. And there's all this pomp and circumstance. I tell you, disregard all that there was about the dresses and who wore what and the fancy hats. Google the sermon and listen to the sermon about the love of Jesus Christ. We have that in us now. We don't have to go and search for it. Those of us who have been born again, who knows what it means to experience the love of Jesus Christ. We can share it with this world. Our great task in this world as Christians is to show the world the king that is coming, the world that is to come. 
the kingdom in heaven as it is on earth. That is what will take place. We know this that the earth is going to be judged by fire. And we are giving that warning, telling them to avoid the judgment that is coming. That their sins are evil. And the world doesn't like to hear it, nor, no more than we like to hear it before we were saved. It wasn't until God broke our hearts and showed us to us who we really were did we understand that we needed Jesus. This world needs Jesus. Amen. Each and every one of us needs Jesus. He alone is the one who, who says, your sins are forgiven. Amen. Amen. Now, if I tell you your sins are forgiven, you're like, okay, that's nice, but I don't have the authority to do that. That's right. In just a moment, we're going to close in prayer, and I'm going to ask anybody who has not received Jesus into their heart, not made him the Lord of their life, not repented of their sins, to come down to the altar. But it's not me saying your sins are forgiven that will do it for you. It is you repenting in your heart, and Jesus will tell you through the Holy Spirit he gives you on this day we celebrate as Pentecost to acknowledge that it is Jesus who forgives your sins. Amen. I could Amen. be like the, the, the four men lowering you down. Me and my brother will we'll come alongside you. And my two other brothers will lower you down and put you at the feet of Jesus. But ultimately it is you and Jesus. Amen. What are you going to say? You're going to say, Lord, heal me. Let me walk again. So I may go out into the world and sin some more. Or are you going to say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. So that I may serve you. That I may live for you. I may bring you glory. I may tell others how you have healed me truly in spirit. The world is focused on the flesh. Because they are spiritually dead. Now there, there's this, this saying that talks about the, the gospel as like, and grace as a lifeline. That the world is, the people of the world are they're swimming on the ocean and they're drowning. And we say, throw them a, a lifesaver so they'll grab onto it and be pulled in. That's not an accurate depiction. You know why? Because the world is dead spiritually. They are on the bottom of the ocean. They need us to jump off the boat and go and, and, and find their dead carcass and bring them to Jesus. To bring them to new life. To be born again because they are spiritually dead. Amen. So what will we do? Will we talk about the return of Jesus like, yay, Jesus is coming again. Or will we say, brother or sister, Jesus is coming again. And if you stay the way you are when he comes, you will be judged in your sins. And you will be condemned to hell for all eternity. It's forever. There's no getting out of hell. There's no get out of jail free card. There's no politician who can save you. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. And I want to tell you whether the world thinks of of it or not, prayer is your most powerful weapon. Amen. You could pray to the King of Glory. You could pray to the one who has created the world, who has spoken into existence. You could pray to the one who will judge your very sins. Amen. And he is willing now to pardon you if you come in faith. But if you come to him on the day of judgment after a life of mocking him, rejecting his ways, doing what he has told you that is not good for you to do, sinning. Do you expect to be set free in that day? No, you should not be expected to set free. Jesus Christ is a holy and righteous God. He called the Pharisees, the most religious men in the history of the world, to repent of their sins. If you are more righteous than a Pharisee, well, good luck to you. I, as your pastor, am a sinner. 
We are all sinners. Amen. Amen. We need to come to the feet of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So if you're the paralytic man, I encourage you. If you want, I'll carry you down. I'll get three other brothers to carry you down to the altar. And if you're not that man, but you're one of the, those men that you have somebody in your life you want to see them say, bring them to Jesus. If you don't know how, come talk to me or Darren or, or Mike or Tom or our preachers. We'll come alongside you in whatever way we can to show people Jesus. Amen. At the end of the day, they will have that encounter. Your job is to get them to Jesus. What they do and what Jesus does after that point, that is between them and God. Amen. Amen. So I encourage you this day, if, if you don't know who Jesus is, if you heard about this man named Jesus, how he's done these miracles, how, how people say they love him or they hate him, I encourage you to experience him for yourself. Amen. Don't let the world tell you what to think of Jesus. Because we know who is ruling this world. It is Satan. Of course he hates Jesus. Because Jesus is going to send him to hell. And I will be in the front row cheering him on. If there is ever one that deserves hell, it is Satan. For he is a liar. He is one rejoicing when lives are extinguished. He is the one dividing our politicians from each other. Dividing our country. Dividing our world. He loves wars. He is a liar. He is the father of all lies. He was there when Cain killed Abel. He was there in Texas. He was there when the plane crashed in Cuba. But understand, Christ is with us now. So I encourage you, if you need Jesus' day, come down. And if you need help reaching others, I encourage you, come down and talk to me. We will pray together for your friend, and we will, we will see what God compels us to do through his Holy Spirit. Let us pray. Our Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your blessing, Lord. I thank you that that we have an example where, where people knew what you could do, Lord, and they tore the roof open literally to, to lower their friend to your feet. We have friends, Lord. We have family. And even some of us here, Lord, we need to be at your feet, kneeling down, worshiping you, and saying, Lord, forgive us. We are sinners. And we have people in our lives we need to bring to you, Lord. Give us those opportunities to bring them close. I thank you for this day, Lord. I thank you that we commemorate the day that you sent your Holy Spirit. And, and how blessed are we. We are not like the apostles who, who had to wait patiently for you to send the helper. But you sent him now. And he is with us. He is the one who testifies to the truth. He is the one that shows us in your holy word how you speak to us. He is the one convicting us of sin. And he is the one showing us that we have been forgiven. And showing us those in our lives who, who need your salvation, Lord. I pray, Lord kind of oxymoronic prayers that you would come quickly, but you'd also give us enough time to see our family and our friends saved, Lord. We desire both. We desire you, Lord Jesus, in your holy name. Amen.